You're listening to the Duplication Nation MLM podcast. Leaders live here. Duplication Nation citizens, welcome back. Here's another episode of our Duplication Nation MLM podcast. We put the cameras on and we throw it up on this YouTube channel of the same name. This is in the chopping it up with dot, dot, dot series that we do where if you're new here, this is a project that I do with Jaime Lokier, duplicationnation.com. We have a free MLM bootcamp email course I would suggest you go through. If you haven't, it's kind of the survival training of how to get started in the business. That's nine lessons over three weeks. And then this podcast is kind of a spinoff of it. And it's not an interview show and it's not a 280 character tweet. This is long form, big boy, big girl con- content where we, the, uh, uh, Daniel Song called it the, the R-rated locker room conversations. Um, and the real stuff that happens if you want to succeed in network marketing, direct selling at the highest levels. Uh, and what it is, not an interview, I get a partner each week. And we chop it up about the profession, success, routine, self-development, wherever it goes. Um, And you get to eavesdrop in. And it's no holds barred. You might want to lock up the children. Sometimes the language is a little (laughs) explicit. Um, But it's the real word truth. So really excited. This week, I have Ryan Thompson. So good to have you working with me on this. Thank you. Thanks, Randy. I'm excited to to be here. Um, I'm a, a longtime fan of yours, and I work. I've been working with Jaime Lokier the last couple of years, and so I've got a lot of respect for what you guys are doing right now and, and for this format. I'm excited. Um, and hello to everybody watching this. I'm sure we know a lot of the same people, and this is a, you know, while it's an ever expanding industry, where it's kind of a, a small. Um, you know, closet industry. And, and uh, so got a lot of great friends that are, are probably watching this podcast. Yeah. And we're just, we're determined to take the profession back from the crypto scams and the Ponzi's and the other stuff. Yeah. Uh, I always wonder where to start with this. And, but with you, I think the logical one is okay. So you're, you're a guy who's been in the field for many years. You've built this you know, you've crunched the carpet in the living rooms, drawn circles, doing that stuff. Now you're you own co-founded run a company. Um, so you're you're getting both aspects of it. So I think the question that I, I'm wondering is, OK, so how does the green a gringo open his company in Mexico first? <laughs> how did yeah. that come about? <laughs> yeah, well, um I think it's a great topic to start with. Um, I I've been on both sides, corporate and uh, the field side. I, I you know I did actually get started on the corporate side uh, for about eight years at a big company in Utah, probably Utah New Skin. Had I had happened to have some really good mentors. I would say the best mentors uh, there, um, and I I cut my teeth. Um, but I did really get to that moment. I think a lot of people get to where on the corporate side, it doesn't happen to a lot of people. I think a small percentage want to get off the bench and get in the game. 
right? And say, you know what, could I do this? Could I earn what these distributors are earning? Could I do what these top leaders are doing? And, and um, I did, I, I got off the bench and it was, uh, you know, I got hit by with a bunch of, uh, you know, it, it, uh, cold water, it's tough. I, I would say that I failed three times my fourth company. I did start uh, paying my, my house, my mortgage, lived on residual income. That was in the early 2000s with a company called ACN, which is still around. But anyways, um, over the that, year. That time period for yeah. those first yeah. three companies where it yeah. didn't work. How long was that time period? Um, so I first got started in the early 90s um, in a company that was shut down by the federal government <laughs> in the late 90s called Institute of Global Prosperity. It's like an offline trading company. Um, I would say it was kind of the the early version of what today the cryptos are. It kind of, it, 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 it gave a bad taint to the industry. You know, it was kind of, you know, borderline legal, but, you know, hey, I was excited about the opportunity. Jumped in and, you know, basically I was able to go to a lot of events down in Cancun and that was about it. I didn't make any money. I spent a lot and, and I learned some things. Before that, in truthfully, 92, I was going to Amway meetings um, and, uh, just was so young, I wasn't that interested, but I, I got exposed to the industry then. And, um, but it, so it was all through the nineties um, and I, um, and, and into the two thousands. And I, I really left when, you know, with the advent of the, the cell phone, you know, we talk about disruptive technology. Sometimes I lived it firsthand when the cell phone became a thing, uh, the smartphone, and there was no longer long distance. Some of you will remember, you, hopefully you remember that when we stopped paying long distance, that's when I lost all my customers and my distributors and my income uh, at the company that I mentioned. At AC, and, yeah, because- ACN, and, I, and I had to go back to the side. Yeah, you know, when, like, when you guys started, right? I mean, yeah. we, we used to pay 33 cents a minute to make a long distance phone that's call. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So, so I built this uh, respectable organization um, that was really the fourth company that I got into as a distributor um, and just refused to quit. And I demanded success. So I'd lock myself in my bedroom at night and wouldn't leave until I could do at least one presentation. And you'll remember these days that those are the days when we used to buy leads, pro leads, I think they were called. And, you know, just burning through money, calling, cold calling, really. I mean, they weren't that pre-qualified, but I wouldn't leave my room till I gave at least one presentation. The, good, the ending of that story is that the people who I enrolled did what I did, and that's where the growth came, right? We, we created a duplication system around locking yourself in your bedroom um, and not leaving until you've done at least one presentation for the day. So that was, you know, I'm kind of summarizing, you know, uh, what, what my plan of action was. But um, when I lost my organization uh, to to the modern day uh, long distance calling, which, you know, there is no long distance and everyone, you know, we can call anywhere in the world through WhatsApp and, and even back then they bundled it. So I, you know, long distance customers went away. I went back to the corporate side and I speak Spanish. Um, I, it was uh, one of my double majors, uh, psychology and Spanish. I lived in Chile. I interned in Guatemala. Um, and kept it up. And so I had a great opportunity to work in Latin America, starting in about 2004 um, at a company called Marinda with some great people. Some of my, my greatest friends today 
are people that I, I worked with back then. Um, I mean, you know, you, you, you want a, a, a true friend, he, you know, he's, he, he, you know, go find a, yourself a Colombian or, you know, someone from Mexico or Peru. I mean, they'll, they'll stick with you for life. So, you know, that really kind of summarizes the last few couple decades of my life, Randy, is I fell in love with Latin America, worked all over, spent time living in Colombia, Chile, Peru, Ecuador, tons in Mexico, um, uh, really all over. Never made it to Venezuela. They shut the doors. Uh, actually, um, I had a flight and that was, and then they they stopped. Americans couldn't fly there anymore. That was, like I said, uh, that was 06 when that happened. But anyways, uh, why Mexico? It has to do with the culture, you know? And I think that anyone watching this knows the importance of culture. Uh, culture makes or breaks an organization. Um, I've been at organizations, companies where the culture was just bad. It was toxic um, because of usually the personalities of people involved, um, whether they were egomaniacal or they were, you know, it, that usually goes pretty closely with, um, you know, people that are, um, you know, just had to make it all about them or founders of companies that, you know, just, you know, talk, you know, are closed-minded and unteachable and, you know, don't want to things. But anyways, cultures can make or break any any company. And I've had good and bad experiences over the years. And I've always had a, a love-hate relationship with this industry. I'm not someone who said, oh, I love this industry. I, I fell in love with the direct selling industry really because, you know, it attracts the best of the best. It also attracts, I think, the worst of the worst. People who are looking for a scam, They're, they they couldn't hold a job. They couldn't hold a job if they had to, and so you have this weird confluence of types of people and personalities. Like you've got like incredible people who shouldn't be working for anybody. They should be, you know, running our governments. Um, and then you have, you know, like I just said, you've got, you know, this real um, strange mix uh of people and usually the you know the worst of the worst and i don't want to be overly judgmental but they usually don't don't last very long in an organization nonetheless um when i was thinking about launching this the company that i'm in now uh culture was super important because i'd had experiences trying to work with people and kowtow to these personalities where you know you've got to put a smile on your face and sometimes and grin and bear it when, you know, um, you know, these giant uh, egos can't even fit in the room that you're in. And so I was really over that, truthfully, that that's a part of the industry that I, I, I don't tolerate anymore. I'm, I'm just over it. And so I, when we came to launch this company, I wanted to partner with people who um, weren't like that. Um, I didn't want distributors who were like that. And I want to go to somewhere in the world where there's a certain, I'll say, you know, family value that is very prevalent, and that's Mexico. Mexico is not perfect, but I knew that I wanted the culture of the company to be shaped by those people, right, and by this prevailing um, value that still exists down there. And and I will just cut to the chase. Um, Latin America, Mexico, and all of Latin America, in my years of working in this industry, first of all, it has so much to offer. Um, people tend to be more entrepreneurial than I've found other places. 
um, they wear their their values on their sleeve often, and they're not always it's not always good like any any place in the world. But man, I found a lot of what I was looking for um, there in just the quality of the people. Um, it also, you know, in my experience of working with the companies I've been with, um, it's a part of the world where historically it's been treated somewhat of a second class citizen. It, and and I, I don't I, I want to clarify what I mean. A lot of the companies I've been with, you know, where I was an employee or even a distributor at, I noticed that a lot of people never travel there. They wanted to earn on them, but they didn't want to really go there and invest and build. Yeah. Yeah. And I've been at organizations, I'm not going to name names, companies that I was in part a part of launching even, where you know the, the control shifted and the people that were in power, they they want to spend a dime developing these markets. You know, they wanted to invest in the markets where they, they thought were going to give them the biggest ROI. Maybe it's Asia, maybe it's America, but they they never told the field this, but they would spend a dime. They spend very little invest very few resources in Latin America. And it bothered me then so much so that when it came time to launch this company, and I had the, the power to make this decision, I said, you know, I, not only do I value those places, I'm going to launch this multinational company there. I'm going to start in Mexico because I want to create a story. I want the story to be, you know, the top earners are, are Mexican nationals and they're Latinos. So that in 10, 20 years, people from all over the world are going to see them at the event and say, wow, that guy, he's one of the founders of the company. Um, and Randy, I mean, between you and me here, and I guess everyone watching, um, when I share that story, even today, we're in our sixth year, um, the people who launched the company with me in Mexico, that is probably the thing that matters the most to them. Is that is that they were prioritized above everything and anybody, and uh, so that's why Mexico. And and yeah, I'm a gringo, but um, I've spent a lot of years down there. And I, th I think all that matters is do you do you care about the people you're working with? Do you love the people you're working with? Then launch there, right? Focus there because you're going to get the best results if you care about the people you're working with. So, you know, uh, that that's it for me. And I mean, I would just say that. Going back to culture, um, it's not an easy thing to, to maintain. And I don't really believe in legislating morality ever, but I do believe in shaping culture. And I believe that everyone has that responsibility to shape the culture that you want to be a part of, right? And that's going to ultimately attract other people to you. Um, and uh, so that's kind of been, been the banner that I've waved since long before launching the company that I'm at now. Well, I got to tell you how that resonates with me. Uh, I had my, I mean, I do this prodigy council, which is founders and leaders and execs of who, uh, you know, kind of a mastermind, high level mastermind group. And we actually had uh, the last meeting here in my place in Miami. And one of the people asked me, so you're all over the world. You live in all these countries. Why are you live in Miami? And I said, because it's the safest, cleanest city in Latin America. <laughs> and, you know, when I moved here, I was 17 years old. Uh, and back then, it was the safest, cleaning, clean, the safest, cleanest New York Jewish neighborhood. Yeah. Because all of the garment district people from New York had retired here. And they, yeah. it was kind of God, we called it God's waiting room, was all these elderly people. And man, as 
as the economies uh, in the U.S. went was going good and Latin America was going bad. It just Miami has become more and more and more Latin. And it's been just so delightful for me. The first country I ever visited once I got a passport was Peru. And yeah. now, I mean, I've been working in LATAM for at least 15 years. And yeah. I mean, it's just transformed my life. The people there, the culture, the language, I mean, it's it's so special. So you now you're what year was that? That is this what is it? Actives is that actives. how you pronounce that? It's just actives, you know. Actives. It's plural of active. Actives. Yeah. Okay, Spanish. so a kind of accent on the first syllable, not right, the right. right. A C T I V Z for right. anyone wondering. So, what year did you launch in Mexico? Uh, so the very end of uh, 2017, um, and I'd say the very end, it was the last week of November, December, I would say, you know, when it, historically one of the more difficult times to launch, but that's when we launched. I mean, really, our first full year was 2018, um, but we did our pre-launch the last quarter uh, of 2017. I can't believe it's been that long, but yeah, that's, that's when we launched. And which countries are you operating in now? Uh, today, we're in Mexico continues to be by far our largest market. Uh, U.S. is, uh, I mean, gr is growing really fast. It's probably our fastest growing market now. It's number two. We opened Peru actually before the United States. Um, uh, we are in Colombia, Bolivia. We are um, NFR in Japan. So, you know, we fulfill out of the U.S., and um, we have, and those are, the, the, that's where we are in officially. Um, we have a program called Global Connect, which we put together, which, you know, basically allows people to do business all over the world. So they, you know, we pay them through a virtual card that we can, we pay people in USD almost anywhere in the world. We drop ship from some big companies um, actually based in Miami for uh, personal use only but we we have a lot of uh business and we're we're in the process of opening ecuador right now costa rica guatemala um we're we are working uh, uh, on spain and portugal as well so but that's it but officially i mean it's mexico peru and the u.s um and we're that close to finalizing our ops our operations in uh, colombia and bolivia um and we're going to those places because of demand. You know, we have we have large teams of leaders, leader le leadership teams in those countries and in some others. And you know, really, we once we reach a certain revenue threshold in those markets, we say we've got to get our products registered, we've got to you know set up our entity and, and do all that. So we've got the ball rolling in probably half a dozen com uh, other countries right now. Um, that we're just, you know, in the process of, of opening. So we're not in a lot of com uh, companies, I would say, compared with a lot of companies in our space. Um, it, 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 large, largely because of, you know, by design, I, I, we really wanted to focus. I didn't want to launch Mexico and then immediately jump to other countries. So we've, uh, what we're doing in Mexico, we are, I mean, we, the, the revenue just from Mexico alone, it's more than I think I ever experienced when I was at Mirinda or any other, other company. I mean, it's really respectable. And um, 
you know, our leaders, uh, you, you would love to meet our leaders, uh, Randy, actually, that, that they are the, the people that really keep me going um, in this and that I get up every morning. Uh, are some of our top leaders down in Mexico specifically. One guy, he, was, he delivered, he works for Frito-Lay. Um, it's called Sabritas, but it's basically the Frito-Lay company delivering chips. And he says, I used to work 14 and 15 hour days. I'd get up before my family would, uh, woke up and I'd get home like just in time to, to say goodnight to my oldest children. His oldest son is now 21 years old, uh, four kids. And um, he had worked, he had, he had kind of tried his hand at four or five or six other network marketing companies over the years, never was able to succeed. And here he really sunk his teeth into it. And for the first time, you know, he's making it. He's our, our highest rank in Mexico, top earner, his wife. I mean, they're all full-time in it. And he's like living this dream. I, I'm going to call it not just the American dream, the Mexican dream. Um, and inspiring so many people. And the cool thing for me is he's duplicated that, right? So now we have all of these um, second, third, fourth, fifth year, uh, fifth tier generals and captains um, in his organization. And um, he's, for me, he's this giant inspiration because he's, he's still, there's no ego there. He's this really humble guy, a man of the people. And, um, you know, I, I think that that's kind of rare sometimes to see that level of success and not have it change who you are. So um, but that's that's basically the makeup of our of our Mexican leadership. Um, and uh, it's been a lot of fun, been a lot of fun. Well, a lot of your leadership makeup, of course, is going to come from you as a driving force. So what I'm kind of intrigued, you, you, it sounds like you had almost a decade in the wilderness where you started in corporate, you said, let yeah. me go in the field. And you had some real struggles for yeah. it sounds like almost a decade. ACN, things started yeah. to come together for you. Yeah. So what would you attribute that to? Is it because you think you just were in the wrong companies. You didn't like one you said was, Hey, I don't even know if it was legal, but it's quasi. Yeah. Yeah. Or do you think, or did you, or did some, or what transformed in you so that now you were the kind of person who could be successful? Yeah. What, is it a mix of both or how would you I talk about this a lot, you know, when, when I do uh, trainings here and, and over the years, also when I, I, I just tell my story is there, there's, you know, it's an interesting industry because there are two sides of it. There's the independent contractor, the independent, uh, you know, distribution franchise owner, the distributor, and then, and then you, or, or whatever the company chooses to call them. And then you have people who work on the corporate side and, and I'll just, say this and put it out there. Um, I have generally in, in almost 30 years, um, I'm disappointed with the corporate side of this industry, about 80 to 90% of the people, they disappoint me. And, and why they disappoint me is because secretly they don't, they don't care too much about the industry. They're not products of the products. They're not people who are in the distributor's corner. They're people who interview, get a job, and they're working in your accounting department or your marketing department or your uh, customer service department or your ops department. And even when I was in my, in my or my very first 
uh, company that I worked for, which was Newskin, I can remember feeling like, man, there's like 5% of the people here who really even understand what this company is about, because, or, or maybe 10% who actually work with the field. So you have like the founders, you've got this big group of corporate people, you have people who might be account managers or sales development, people that work daily with the field. Those are the people who really understand what, what it is to be a distributor, but you've not experienced it. And so where am I going with, with, with my comments? Um, when I left corporate to become a distributor, that, that's how I, that, those were, that was my belief system. I was kind of cynical towards the corporation, feeling like, you know what, I'm going to just go out and do this because I really resonate with a lot of these distributors. Like some of my, my best friends at the company happen to be in the field, right? I'd spent tons of time in their living rooms, in their kitchens, just you know, meeting, the, you know, hanging out with our kids and, and understanding them. And then I also had really good friends that were my coworkers and, you know, my direct reports were actually people who I had tons of respect for and still do to this day. Um, great mentors. Um, but I thought, I thought it was easier than it was. <laughs> and I thought that just because I got what it meant to be a distributor, that I could do it. And, you know, no, so I, I, I have to interrupt there. So because <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I get a, a message from someone say, oh, my God, I just sent that last show, the last chopping up you did with so and so yeah. to my vice president of marketing or to my CEO or to yeah. because they they just they've yeah. heard all this silly bullshit like yeah. the products just sell themselves. You just think of people, you know, who would also, you know, they don't know what really happens. In no, 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 no. Never yeah. been across yeah. the table in a yeah. Starbucks from a skeptical candidate who yeah. distrusts every word you say. They've never been heckled at a home meeting or a hotel meeting. And so I just wanted to pull out what you just said. You're that, absolutely right. That's, that's something that we've got to do a better job. And I'm, you know, Jaime and I and Feinstein and I, we're working with corporate entities yeah. all the time. And I can't tell you how much of our time is spent trying to show the connection to the corporate people, how what they do impacts the field and that we all work for the field. Everybody, when I'm a consultant, to a yeah. company, I'm working for the field. When you're a vice yeah. president of marketing or the CFO, or you're working in the purchasing department or the accounting department, you still work for the field. And we have two jobs. Number one, help it make it easier for people to get more customers. And number two, make it easier for them to enroll more builders. And everything else has is subservient to that. So totally agree. Yeah, I, I mean, it's this topic right here, I think is probably one of the more important topics in the industry. If if we are to ever, um, you know, I, I would say this, I don't think the industry needs an overhaul, but to make some significant improvements, it would be to take every corporate employee and require them to spend time in the field. Um, it, it, it Because it's tantamount to, I mean, I, I on, on the corporate side, you know that I spend a lot of time with people who, have who are brand new to network marketing because they're hired from outside. And I'm talking not talking about my company now, talking about all the companies I've been with in the past. 
and you'll explain it to them and they'll be like, oh yeah, no, 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 no. I get it, I get it. I had an aunt who was in Melaleuca. I had an aunt who was in Mantic. I had, a, had an uncle who was in Amway. And I'm like, oh, okay, guess what? You still have no idea, right? It's like having this theoretical idea. It's like saying, I once watched um, soccer on TV. No, 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 I get it. You, the, the goal is to kick the ball in the thing. But then you put that person on the field and you have these professional athletes who have trained since the day they could walk to play soccer. And you put someone on there who's never touched a ball. How's that guy going to do? How is he going to perform? Miserable, right? And that's the same as this industry, right? You can have an academic understanding of what it is to promote a product and to get paid through a comp plan. But what you don't understand is, and this was me, my personal experience, the biggest um, challenge I had, and I'm talking about 2001, 2002, 2003, 2004, probably even 2000 um, in, the, in the first part of that was on any given Tuesday. Okay, it's Tuesday, it's 1130 in the morning. No one's calling. There's no one around. Everyone else you know is at work. What do you do? You drive and go sit in a parking lot of a park and maybe scroll through your phone and say like, okay, I need to make some calls. I need to do this. It's that it's that moment that's the most critical. It's it's when no one is following up with you, telling you to do something, and you've got to push past that. You have to you know come you you have to have pre-plan. For me, I had to pre-plan what I was going to do every day, a daily plan of action, so that the the Tuesday morning at eleven thirty, sitting in a park by myself, didn't happen because it did happen, and I ended up taking a nap right, and I can remember someone knocking on on my window, I mean, this is actually a true story. Um, and this was when I kind of was, you know, something snapped in my head. I'm like, you, you gotta do something different. But um, I was literally taking a nap in my car at, on like a Tuesday or a Thursday at like 11 or 12 in the day, just working my business, right? Um, and I fell asleep in my, in, my, in my car and then someone knocks on my window and I looked and it was the guy that was my roommate at the time. Um, and he was playing Frisbee uh, uh, golf by himself in the park. And he's like, hey, dude, what's going on? I'm like, I'm working. Can't you see I, I, I'm building my business? And when I said that, it occurred to me how ridiculous I sounded. I'm like, really? and he just kind of like looked at me a little bit confused, like, oh, this is how you build your business. You're like hang out by yourself in a park, taking a nap in your car. And that, it, frankly, that that was when I I that was the beginning of me changing and saying, okay, either I fail at this again and I go back to corporate or I make a change. And, you know, I thankfully had access to some good mentors, invested in some education, went to some seminars, got way more disciplined. And that's when I just said, I'm not, you're not leaving your room till you, I mean, for me, I had to make 15, 20, 30 calls to get one person that I could give a presentation to. And that, that was, those were the days when we did everything by phone. Um, but that worked. That worked, locking myself in my bedroom, making calls like that. Um, uh, it, I also got really good at, at, a, at the pitch, right? I got really good at talking to people that I didn't know um, and being really concise and really to the point and empathizing and um you know, it's kind of like, for me, it was the school of being locked in my, in my room. So anyways, that, that's why I struggle so much. I mean, I'm, I, I struggle because no one tells you when you're corporate that it's not about believing in the product or understanding the comp plan. And can you do a comp plan presentation? 
Success as a distributor has nothing to do with that. Success as a distributor has to do with how badly do you want it? Um, and then what are you willing to do every day to get it? Um, and it's overcoming a, a poverty mindset. It's overcoming these limit, you know, these self-limiting beliefs. It's, it's, it's all that stuff. But at the end of the day, when it's just you and your car and your cell phone in your house, your apartment or wherever you happen to be, what, what's your plan, right? That's what makes or breaks someone. So when I was able to get over that, I started to actually have success um, in 2001, the, the end of 2001. So, um, but going back to, you know, the first topic, which I think is such an important one, it's corporate versus distributors, right? What do we do there? And, and it's, um, you know, if, if you hire someone who has an academic industry, uh, understand the industry, that's not good enough. It's not good enough. They got to get out in the field. They should go work with distributors, spend a week, spend three, four, five days, um, you know, uh, uh, going from town to town with some leaders, and then you'll get a sense of what it's like. But even when you work with leaders, Randy, I'll just say this, a lot of corporate executives will say, oh, no, no, I spend time with the leaders. Okay, now don't spend time with the leaders, go spend time with someone who's been in the business for six months, or maybe a year, or maybe a couple of months, because that's when you're going to learn how difficult it is, because they don't have any cash flow, right? Or maybe they're working another job, and they're doing this one to two to three hours a day, three hours, three days a week, right? Spend time with that person and, and look at, at, at life through their eyes or at the business through their eyes. And then you're going to really get a sense of, is your communication connecting with the field? Are your promotions connecting with the field? Is what you think is so cool up in your ivory tower? Is that making a difference in that person's life? And, and that's where light bulbs go off. That's where most corporate execs would say, wow, no, no one cares uh, about our, our sea change initiative. No one cares about these high-minded branding concepts. The field cares about what their uplines are talking about, right? They, they care what the leaders are talking about. There's, a, there's generally a massive disconnect between what a, corporate, a, a corporation does, the ivory tower, and the field. And that's probably one of the biggest secrets right there. You unravel that, and and you'll have uh, you'll have more success in your in your uh, business. So two things I got to jump off on that with. Yeah. One for the uh, somehow we have to get the message to the distributors in the field. Your story of okay, it's Tuesday, eleven thirty. I go to the park and I fall asleep in my car because I don't know what building a business actually is. They need to know that the 2023 version of that is, okay, it's seven o'clock at night. I have my smartphone. I'm going to go on Instagram and start liking posts and making connections. And four hours later, after watching all of the dogs on surfboards and the cats riding vacuum cleaners, they think, well, I've, I've worked my business for four hours today and they haven't done anything to grow their business. So we, we need to just make them aware, aware of that, right? But the, yeah. corporate, the corporate distributor thing, you know, this is, uh, I, I, I'm going to tell a story. I'm going to try to be very 
dealt the delicate to protect the guilty parties. Jaime and I are working with the company. Uh, we're set up. Our job is, hey, let's, you know, they bring us in to build out the infrastructure, create a candidate pathway, what kind of sizzle or preview video can we develop? What's a full length presentation video? How do we create a standardized presentation? And then we can have a PowerPoint version of that. We can have an outline you could use for a hotel presentation or a live stream presentation. We'll create a video version of that. We need a full length. What's the product story? What are the benefits? So if somebody not interested in the business, but man, they're intrigued by the products. What's the marketing tool that the distributor can use? What's the catalog or magalog? What is the, the marketing piece? Not the legal document that says, here's how the comp plan works. Yeah. Where's the really sexy brochure that says, here's how you make money with ABC company. Right? So that's our job. We go in and we're building out, trying to be that liaison between the corporate yeah. and the field and say, guys, here's the things you need to do at the ivory tower in corporate. So these people out there in the living rooms and dens and in the Facebook live streams and Zoom meetings can effectively get more customers, get more distributors. So I remember at 20 years old, when I joined the Amway Corporation, I got this huge box, which of course had my SA8 laundry soap and you know whatever else that they've yeah. got. But in that big box was my distributor kit. And it was... I, you know, this is so many years ago, probably a welcome letter from DeVos and Van Andel and uh, Amway pen and the little journal. And, but there was like a three ring binder of here's the scripts you use when you call candidates and here's this and here's that. And just stuff that's to me, a guy who had always worked for a paycheck virtually my life coming from a family of everyone trace it all the way back to the Mayflower always worked for someone getting a paycheck. There were no entrepreneurs in my family or my circle of influence. And when I got that distributor kit, it told me, Oh, I'm a business person. Now I'm an entrepreneur. So one of the things every, every place I'm consulting is what do you have for a distributor kit? Oh, no, we don't do that. We're all digital now. You know, we sent them a link and we got a back office. And I'm like, we need a kit, physical, that comes with the UPS guy or the FedEx guy. And they open it up, right? And so <laughs> we're working with this company. And I say, and I want, and they have nutritional wellness products, right? So I tell them, I want a, I want a shaker bottle in the kit. Mon, you know, logo mm -hmm. thing, it's mm -hmm. a marketing tool and, you know, creates a little pride. And so there's a group of like 10 people in the corporate email where I'm describing this kit that Jaime and I want to, un, yeah. you know, roll out. Yeah. So some guy responds back and he says, if we add a shaker bottle to the kit, it won't fit in the box we have. That's not a standard template box that we use in the warehouse now. Hmm. And there has been the pandemic. And so there were supply chain issues. 
and cardboard boxes are very difficult to source now. So this shaker bottle is a bad idea. We need to drop this. So I, so my natural inclination is to hit reply all and say, what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> Do you understand? We work for the field here. It's not about how easy it is to source a box. We're trying to help the team be successful. But I'm, I've found for some reason that approach doesn't really enamor people to me or me to people. <laughs> and sometimes they need a little more. So I say, okay, I'm going to bite my tongue, but I've, I say, I've got to find who this warehouse person reports to yeah. and tell their boss, listen, you need to get together with XYZ name and explain to them when we come up with something like this, your job is to say, how can we create a solution? We don't need anyone to send and say, that idea doesn't work. We all get paid the big bucks to say, how can we make it work? So I start asking around, okay, who's this guy's boss? Because I need to, and they tell me, oh, he's the COO. What? Uh, uh, of is, course, of course he is. Yeah. That, that's, so, a, that's a response from a COO. But yeah. yeah. So the, the next yeah. morning, I was on the phone with the founder who mm -hmm. hires us and writes the check and said, mm -hmm. Jaime and I need to do a two day boot camp with corporate, not the field. I know you hired us to work with the field, but we want to come to corporate headquarters right. and we want everybody. Everybody there. We want the chief financial officer there. We want the people who supervise the warehouse there. We want, and we brought them together for two days. And we, like social media, they had just, I mean, like they put up something on Instagram. There'd be seven likes. There was nobody following. They were just, hmm. they were just ads. Like they put an ad for a product and they wonder why does nobody share this or follow it? And so we, we gave them, we put them in workshops. So we put them in teams and we took somebody from finance, somebody from warehouse, somebody from purchasing. And we say, okay, you're in charge of creating this social media campaign. We put five other employees. So we broke them into groups. The founder is a really bright visionary guy. And we said, Hey, give us some, give us some prizes we can offer them. So he created like a thousand dollar hotel weekend package that would go to the first place team. And then we said, we're, cool. we're everybody's going to post this on the socials. And then whichever campaign gets the most likes, the most shares, the most comments, mm -hmm. your team is going to win the prize. And literally, uh, Ann Feinstein and I, who are working with a, a, a different company here in the U.S., are scheduling this with a client right now, the same thing. And I will do this with every company I ever work for, for the rest <laughs> of my life, because they, they just need to understand that. Be, and here's where I think it got really worse, Ryan, was the, the pandemic. Yeah. Because everybody just went to Zoom, right? So now, so you had like the companies I'm working with since... 2021 
they've had these corporate people, they're all remote now. They mm -hmm. all work from home in their Chewbacca pajamas or their bunny slippers. And they've never, so it's like, I get hired for companies and and I'm talking to the, like the, the VP of distributor relations or the VP of sales or the VP of marketing or the general manager. And I'm saying, well, tell me about this leader here. And I'm finding out they've never met him in person mm -hmm. because they got so sucked into the, the yeah. Zoom room thing for so long and that they don't even know they're, they've never met their distributors. And until that happens, there's no way a company can really yeah. support yeah. the people in the field. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that, that's a that's a great story. And um, I think that what you did, what you and Jaime did with that company is would be a very effective way of helping to educate, you know, corporations because you can go to school, you can get an MBA, you can go learn accounting, marketing, all that stuff. Um, but what they don't teach you is how do you, this is going to sound maybe too direct. How do you get people to do something that you want them to do? They don't teach that anywhere. And when you have a, this whole volunteer, I mean, the, the, the call it the sales force, it's all volunteer, 100% volunteer sales force. It's more about less about marketing and branding and, um, you know, traditional uh, business management and much more about human conditioning, understanding the human condition, um, what drives people, right? How do you reinforce a certain behavior? How do you, how do you, how do you shift mindsets? And that is, that is arguably not business. That's not business. It, it, that's human development, right? That, that's, that's basically how to, how to, uh, how, how to, uh, get friends and influence people. I mean, it, it's, um, uh, I, I'm watching the title here, but I mean, that's what that's about. So I think it's, it's great that you and, and Jaime take that approach with corporations. I mean, I, I really continue to believe that to the extent that a corporate uh, group, right, or the corporation can understand how to, how to identify with the field and get the field to identify with them, you'll solve the problems, right? Um, the pandemic, to your point, it, it threw a curveball at everybody in that we were all forced to do things that we weren't doing, right? Some companies made it, some people, some companies didn't. Here's what I kind of discovered post-pandemic, post, you know, I, it's not really the pandemic as much as, as it is the forced closures, right? Um, the mandates, um, right. you know, but, you know, that, that's what I'm referring to when I say pandemic. Um, we've learned that what we did during that period doesn't, can't last forever. It's not sustainable. So people, you know, clamp down and suddenly we have like, you know, six Zooms a day and everyone's on Zoom and everyone's using social media contact and thank goodness some of us, some of the company, you know, some of our companies actually did well during that period of time. Um, but, you know, I'd say after two, three years of that, it stopped working and we had to quickly shift gears and say, this isn't buttering people's bread anymore. We've got to create real relationships with people. And so the, the leaders in, in my company who really exploded in terms of growth and started to really crank said you know what 
we're going to start doing meetings in person. And they were sort of the early adopters who said, you know, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. We're going to do it. I started to go to Monterey, Mexico um, before all the closures were even, uh, I mean, while there were still closures in Mexico and we had to get people together. We started to meet with a hundred people, 130 people. We were always capped at that number because of, you know, the government regulations, but I'll tell you that, that, um, that interaction and just being with people that made the difference. Right. And, and for, for, for as cool as social media is with AI and virtual reality and all that stuff, um, it doesn't take the place of, of really getting together with people. And that ultimately is what distributors need to do with each other. It's what corporate needs to do with distributors. Um, and, um, you know, it's the only way to really gain rapport and, and, and empathy. So, um, you know, we, we've gone through that and now we we're kind of in a rhythm that that's working. It's a real hybrid of, you know, things like what we're doing here, you know, um, you know, zooms, but then in person, um, Jaime, uh, um, I was, uh, Jaime and I were talking about this, your partner, um, not too long ago. And it's something that I was wanting to bring up in this discussion with you and that's predictability. I, I would say that, you know, since we're kind of talking about some of the weaknesses of the corporate side and, and, and their difficulty in really um, meeting the needs of the field, predictability is another topic that's kind of in that. I've been thinking a lot about predictability and why people fail, right, in this. And that's something that I can remember, you know, going back 25 years ago or so, or almost 30 years ago when I was working at New Skin, I used to always ask that question, how come, okay, there, there's, there, there's people who are very successful at that company, and then a lot of people that were not successful, meaning they didn't earn what they wanted to, they didn't hit reach the ranks. And back then, I used to think about the fact that people are conditioned to look for a specific outcome, right? If you're conditioned to get a job and to get or work for a paycheck, you're conditioned to, to, you need predictability. The predictability is sort of a common denominator in how we're conditioned and socialized. And one of the challenges that we face in, in the network marketing industry, in the direct selling industry, is that there's a lack of predictability, right? There's the inputs and there's the outputs. The inputs is make calls, send messages, do presentations, follow up with people, right? Um, send them a video, send them another video, send them a, a personal video, send them a testimony, you know, all of these, here's how you contact, but there's not really a guaranteed outcome or result. And so the issue of predictability isn't there. It's less predictable in this industry than in a traditional job where they say, put in this many hours, show up, do this interview, get the job, and we're going to pay you X amount, right? We're going to pay you you know, 50 grand uh, a year, uh, uh, 250 grand a year, whatever it is. And, and so people, I think we generally are attracted to that because we, we want predictability. And so part of the thing that I, part of this concept has to do with how do we create more predictability in this industry, right? How do we design a plan so that there is a very predictable outcome? If you do A, B, and C within your first 30 days, you're going to get this. If you do A, B, and C within your first 90 days, you're going to get this trip. And when you do that, 
you start changing how you're wired. You start changing your belief system because you start having these small wins, right? These small victories, these small achievements, which is changes how we're wired, right? If you get a, your first check and in your second week of the business, you now know that it's possible, right? And so um, I'm trying to connect this concept back to the concept of um, what can the corporate side do to help the field become more successful? Leaders are already that they already they're the believers, right? They're the ones who are sharing success stories, saying, "You can do it, guys. Follow this system, right? Do what I do. I'm going to just tell you what I did. I'm not going to tell you what I didn't do, right? That's what leaders do. The corporation, the corporate, can create a platform that has predictable um, periods of, of predictability, right? Like do A in your first when you first activate your business. And we're going to give you this. And so, you know, part of bridging the gap between corporate and the field, it's, you know, not only understand what the field does, but do everything you can to understand how people are conditioned and they show up to your company conditioned to want something predictable. And then and typically they don't get it. And that's when people spin out. They leave, right? They leave because they got in because their cousin talked them into it or their you know, college friend or their sister-in-law. So they're in and they're going to last a month. Maybe they might buy the product once, maybe twice. But if you don't give them some kind of a predictable, dependable outcome, they're going to leave. And so I don't know if you've given any thought to that, you and Jaime, as you coach companies, um, but I'd be interested to know if you like what you do to kind of address that natural human need right. of right. predictability. Well, I, actually, I think I've only thought about this for 25 to 35,000 hours <laughs> because oh. I think you've tapped into a really important vein. And I hope the people who eavesdrop in on these conversations, I hope they really recognize where we're going with this because. Uh, you know, what What? What I'm hearing from the top leaders is, you know why? I don't ever listen to anything more than five minutes. And you're doing these three and a half hour shows and I have to listen to every minute. I do it 30 minutes every day on the treadmill or when I'm walking the dog or, you know, when I'm on the elliptical because there's so many truth bombs per minute that I have to listen to this long form, which most people don't, right? It's I'm going against the grain with this. Everybody's looking for the 60-second Instagram reels. Um, this subject you brought up, this is one of these truth bomb scenarios because uh, three or four things jump into mind. Hopefully, I'll, I'll remember them long enough to get through them all. But when you raise this issue, first is this issue. I wrote a whole, bo a whole book called uh, well, the, the title is Making the First Circle Work. And of course, the first circle is the one we draw and we write yeah. you in the circle. Right. right. So that's going back to my Amway days. So the whole theme of that book is how do you transform hope into belief? Because hope gets people in the business. Mm -hmm. They hope it works. They hope they could make 10 grand a month. They hope they could win that free trip. They hope they could get that pink Cadillac. Belief is what keeps them. 
where they say, oh, no, even though three top leaders just left and joined a MLM crypto scam and, you know, go global, um, I believe in this company. Even though we got some negative publicity on the local news, I even though right. four of the best-selling products are out of stock for 10 days, I <laughs> still believe in the company because I don't hope anymore. I, I know that yeah. it will, I, I know it will work for me because it's already worked for me. So yeah. this is a big part of that is you have to do things. And that's where major events come in. And that's where the live events come in. You don't do that on a Zoom meeting. You do that when they get in an auditorium with 8,000 fanatical, evangelical, screaming people who are swinging from the chandeliers. Right. And somebody comes on stage and tells their story. When one of those diamonds or whatever that top rank is says, yeah, I was a single mother. I had two kids. I was on food stamps. I couldn't buy diapers with the food stamps. And, and now, hey, I'm not a multimillionaire, but you know what? I'm making $7,500 a month in the yeah. US or if say it's $2,000 a month in Mexico, which is like a king's ransom. Yeah. And I can take care of my kids. I can feed my family. I have my self-esteem back. I, you know, they hear a story like that at an event. They meet the CEO or the top diamond or the top this, and they shake their hand. They look in their eyes. They network in the hallway at the breaks, right? They build, that's where this belief is built. The other issue that comes out of spinning off what you're raising is really giving people how to do this and what to do. That's where I say, yeah, I think like for, for Jaime and I, Ann and I, we're always building out what's the candidate pathway here? What are the tools? We, yeah. This, this, oh, these products just sell themselves. That shit is not going to work. Yeah. I always right. tell people, okay, if you go to your you know, VP of marketing, and you ask how yeah. to do their business, and they say, these products just sell themselves, then you should say, well, then you certainly don't need me. Here's my resignation. <laughs> Let me go find another company. All right. Part of the company's responsibility is to give them some tools and the upline, not just the, the, the company, because the company can't do all of this for the reasons you mentioned. They've never been in the field. Right. There has to, some of this has to come from the top field leaders. I agree. So you, yeah. You, yeah. And so you need people who aren't just rah-rah people. They have mm -hmm. to be critical thinkers enough, or they have to bring in somebody like us where we help them through that process of becoming a critical thinker and saying, what's the event structure you can build out here? What is the candidate pathway? What are the holes in the tools that you have? I kind of, you know, cut my teeth with Sunrider back in the day. And I remember we'd go to a convention and they'd say, hey, we have these 11, and Shackley was another one. They'd say, we have these 
15 different recruiting videos. And then we have these 60 different, you know, and back then they were VHS tapes or whatever. Here's 18 different VH tapes, you know, tapes on if they have cancer, give them this one. If they have diabetes, give them this one. If they, you know, because back then that's what everybody was doing was prescribing and diagnosing. Today, you're just going to get shut down. But that's where the breakdown is because that's where the analysis paralysis comes in because they're like, there's 15 videos. I don't know which one. I I know leaders who say, okay, well, here's the approach you use with baby boomers. Here's the approach you use with Gen X. Here's the approach you use with Gen Y. Here's the approach you use if they're this, if they're that. And or, you know, and then they've gone to some NLP training and they're like, now, yeah. if they're visual people, you use this approach. If they're auditory people, that means they say, I hear what you're saying. That means they're auditory. So you should use this approach. If they say, I feel, that means they're kinesthetic. That can never duplicate. You've got to build out the system and say, what yeah. is the most duplicable for the most people? Yeah. So you have to, my definition yeah. of leadership yeah. in this profession is we inspire people to become the highest possible version of themselves. That's part one. And then part two is, and create the infrastructure that facilitates that process. Yeah. And that's the events, the system, the tools, whatever. You do a lot of work in LATAM. So let me, and I adore LATAM and I adore the LATAM people, but let me throw them under the bus for a minute. Biggest problem I see in LATAM is too much rah-rah motivation. There's no nuts and bolts there. Give you an example. I, you know, I get hired to do an event in the Dominican and there's two speakers there, me and this top, 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 top leader of the company. And it's a training event. And so he does a two-hour training, and then I'm supposed to do a two-hour training. Yeah. And I get there early. I want to know what's going on. I want to see who this guy is. What does he know? Maybe I'm going to pick up something here. You know, I like to always learn myself. So I sit in through his two-hour how to build a business training. And I'm using air quotes for the people who are listening on the podcast. So it starts with, you know, pictures of soaring eagles and how the mama eagle feeds the baby eagles and pushes them from the nest and carries them. And then it's a quote from Martin Luther King Jr. And then it's a quote from Zig Ziglar, and then it's a picture yeah. of him with his first beat up car, and then it's a picture of yeah. him new $200,000 car, and it's a picture of his first crappy apartment, and it's a picture of his beautiful home, and then it's a picture of him with me, then it's a picture of him with the president of the company, mm-hmm. then it's a picture of him with Tony Robbins, yeah. and it's a quote from Buddha, then it's a quote from Gandhi, then it's a quote from the Bible. This goes on for two hours. And then that's the end of his how-to training. And I realized, well, no wonder this team is struggling here. He knows, yeah. There's so much, you know, the default setting is, all these distributors, they're so lazy, they don't want to work. I keep telling them to, 
you know, build the business and they don't. I honestly believe they 95% of the people you bring into the business really want to do it. And they will, they are willing to pass up America's Got Talent on Tuesday night or whatever mm -hmm. and go to a, a place where they can get a candidate in front of a presentation yeah. if you will show them how to do that. If yeah. you will teach them, hey, when, when somebody says, I don't know anybody else, yeah. I don't have any friends left, that's not their failure. That's a failure of the leadership of the team because right. the team hasn't made clear Meeting people is a skill, and that's a skill you can develop. Let me show you how to do that. Working a candidate list is a skill. Let me show you how to do that. Making compelling invitations, that's a skill. Yeah, you may be shy, you may be introverted, you may be nervous, you know, it doesn't matter. It's a skill you can learn. Right. Follow-up is a skill, right? So if, if leaders and companies both would do more along those lines. That's yeah. where we get to the predictability issue that you raised. Yeah. So now we can say, hey, when you take this action, when you get X, because here's the other problem when people say, okay, I've set a goal. I'm going to sponsor five people this week. You have zero control over that goal because you cannot force people to say yes. Yeah. The only goal you can set is, I will get 25 people in front of a presentation this week. And hopefully it's an external source presentation. It's not you making the presentation. It's a video. It's a live stream. It's a something so that it can be duplicated, right? So we got to teach them how to set activity goals and not goals over things they can't control. And then once we do build out the system and build out the infrastructure, we can say, if you do a major blast, which is going to involve having a grand opening meeting at your home and getting your first 10 customers and uh, sending text, WhatsApp, whatever links to people to look at this two-minute sizzle video, to have this many live stream presentations, we can say, hey, when you get at least 25 people to look at this tool, Here's the predictability. Here's how many are going to sign up, roughly. And then when they sign up, we're going to divide it into thirds. A third are going to do it now. A third are going to do it later. And a third are going to do it never. <laughs> so now we know that. I'm, so what we've got, so like when somebody starts to get serious, we're always saying, um, okay, what you've got to do is you've got to keep recruiting until you have at least four lines chasing you. By chasing you, yeah. I mean, they're calling you up. They're asking for help yeah. for presentations. They want you to come in on their Zoom call. That You know what I mean? They're not just people who are scrolling on Instagram looking at cat videos. So then you, if you get to at least four people chasing, then just rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat mm -hmm. at some point. Because at some point, each of those lines will take it away from you. Leadership will develop. And then they'll... Um, you know, go and then you can open up again another line. And if you're always uh, working where you've got four lines chasing you, now you have a really predictable, productive, growing business.
Yeah. But it, all those things we just talked about, that that all comes into play for that. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that's that's great. Um, I and I agree um, with what I hear you, you saying. You know, the topic of predictability. I mean, you're you're describing systems, you know, having a system that people plug into and follow. And so the predictability, what I hear you saying is really a, a result of of having a system. And a lot of people don't. It's funny what you were just talking about, LATAM, Latin America. Um, there is a lot of excitement. There's sometimes a lot more, more hype than, than maybe you need. Um, but that's, I mean, for me personally, that's why it's so fun. That's why I, I love working down there. But it, it's, it's interesting to hear you say that because I, there, there's, there's quite a bit of truth around that. I think in the absence of having a system, having the right tools that have been systematized, in the absence of that, what do people have? People have, you got to be enthusiastic. You got to transfer your belief. You got to get on stage and woo, 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 tell your story, which is great. Stories, I mean, nothing sweeps louder than success, right? Stories are what we remember, right? Um, but they don't sustain us during the doldrums of the, you know, the Tuesday morning at 1130 and it, it, when you're sitting in your car by yourself, you need to have that system. And, and, and I, I like what you said. Predictability really does come as a result of, I mean, there's predictability in, in following a system. Um, something that I have heard and I, I borrowed and I use it now is that, you know, systems don't, or pe people fail, systems don't. A system is just a system, right? And, and it increases the probability and the likelihood that you're going to get the results that you want if you adhere to the system, the same system that the guy ahead of you did and that the woman ahead of him did and that the guy had, you know, because, you know, you, you, you do something enough times and a pattern, you know, eventually uh, presents itself and that those are the predictable results. Do you know what I've been saying a lot lately? And I've actually been asking this question and almost accidentally, and I've never done it until the last, maybe the last couple of years. And I've been asking this of distributor of my leaders, distributor leaders in the company, when I see people doing things, because because you can't, I mean, part of the challenge is when you see people really enthusiastic and excited about doing something a certain way, and they're not really following a system, the system that, you know, we, de we developed a system along with our top distributors. And, you know, it's, it's very similar to other systems that exist in other companies. I mean, I'll just put it out there, right? They're, they're, they're tried and true principles um, of duplication. But, if, but we do have a healthy number of people who kind of do things their own way. And they're, they're, you know, from different, you know, whether you're in Colombia or Bolivia or wherever, they got a lot of energy, and a lot of excitement, a lot of hype. And so to not try and force feed them the system that we use that again it's you know it's it's proven um i've been asking them and i it's almost rhetorical because i'm asking myself this too how much longer do you think you want to do that how much longer do you think you want to do what you're doing like do you see yourself doing this for another year for another three years for another five years what about 10 years do you see yourself and the reason why i say that randy is because you know better than I, that there are organizations all over the world and companies all over the world who at the end of the month, the last few days of the month, 
they're just cranking. They're, they're not sleeping at night. They're trying to close. They're backdating orders. They're doing things that they're not doing in the first, second, or third week of the month, right? Um, and they're doing things that I would argue aren't sustainable, right? They're almost not even duplicatable because you can only go 100%. so far. 100%. Uh, so far in an organization, maybe you can do that when you've got 100,000 a month or two, but can you do that when you've got 5 million a month or 10 million a month or 20 million? And it's just, it's asinine to to think about trying to, you know, wheel and deal at in the last two or three days of the month when you have an organization that size. I mean, not, it's not, not sustainable. So, um and, and let's just be let's yeah. be real here. Where this problem is the worst is Latam. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Well, that's why I bring it up because I mean th these are real things that I'm experiencing right now. Absolutely. But, but I, I, what I'm finding to be effective, I, and I'd like to get your thoughts on this also. Is I do ask that question. I'm like, well, well, what do you like? How long do you see yourself um, doing what you're doing? And part of why I say that is because there are some markets where man they they will spend 12 hours a day out there pitching products selling products right there's a lot of it less in the u.s less in some other country regions of the world but some regions southeast asia latin america definitely is very heavy on bottom up on product 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 and there's a lot of product sales and people they pay their bills with that you know by the end of the first week they've made decent money just on retailing which that's nothing wrong with that but I asked the question, how many years do you want to do that? Because if they're not duplicating, right, which is leveraging themselves behind, you know, the efforts of other independent contractors, not a lot of people are going to want to do that beyond a year or two years, definitely not five years, definitely not 20 years um, or 10 years uh, for that matter. And so that the reason why I asked that question is because it, 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 they give me an honest answer because most people, no matter how successful they're being, that they, they are, and they're, they're getting big checks, biggest checks of their life, but they're doing things that aren't really sustainable. They'll say, oh yeah, I, I don't know, maybe another year, maybe, maybe I can do this forever. I'm like, you're not going to do it forever. You're going to burn out. And I find that brutal honesty, it's the best policy always. Don't blow uh, air at people's skirts or in their ears or anywhere else for that matter. But just tell them the truth and say, you're not going to you're not going to want to do this a year from now. You're going to be tired. You're going to slow down. People aren't going to duplicate what you're doing and your checks going to drop and you'll end up leaving. I mean, that really I've seen that for almost three decades now. And, and the reason why I asked the question is because it's then to go to what your point was, you know, a few minutes ago, steer them back to a system. Do something that is going to automate your business. It's going to systematize your business so you can step away in 24 months, 36 months, maybe five years, maybe it's 10 years, but that's okay. If you can step away because 80% of your business has an auto ship, right? Or starts their month doing a, a, a marathon day of contacts, right? First Saturday of every month. And you know that that system is in place. That's the only insurance policy that you should, that, you know, that, that the person has to allow them to step away and say, you know what? I think I'm retired. I think I'm gonna show up at the big events. I think I'm gonna to continue to, to, to um, lead, but I'm not gonna be in the trenches every day, um, you know, changing diapers. I'm a grandparent. I don't wanna have new kids, right? We, and we want people to have that walk away experience. That's, 
ultimately what we're selling in the industry. Um, but it only can happen if there's what you were talking about, a system, right, that allows them to systematize their business model. And I, I feel like this is lost on a lot of people, Randy. And, and you're right. It's very, very prevalent where my business is most dominant, which is Latin America. Um, but people, people do get it. And some of these top leaders I was telling you about earlier on, who, um, you know, my top earner in Mexico, who was a Frito-Lay rep, uh, and he's no stranger to hard work. Um, he doesn't want to work 14, 15 hours forever. And so I talked to him about this and he's like, because there was a lot of resistance to say auto ship, auto reorders, right? A lot of people, uh, for whatever reason, have more resistance to that. And I'm like, no, no, no you don't understand. This is, you're, you, this is, you're just automating your business, man. And so he's starting, people are starting to get that. And, um, you know, and our baseline started to take off and enrollments are incremental to the baseline. And that's where a lot of our growth is coming from. It's just because people are starting to systematize it. But anyways, I, I, you know, I, I'm curious to know your thoughts on the, the whole question of how many more years can you do what you're doing? Do you, have you ever taken that approach or like, do you have a version of that that you use with people? I do. I do. I'm so glad you brought this up. This is another one of those truth bombs that people need to hear. First of all, your Frito-Lay guy, you tell him, a, el libro, Éxito de la Venta Directa para Randy Gage. Okay. He's got to read that book. It's yeah. in Spanish. Great Spanish translation. That's my step-by-step -step duplicable system. Yeah. For, for gringos, it's uh, direct selling success. Yeah. Uh, instead of from A to Z, I call the subhead is from Amway to zombies <laughs> for the MLM zombies we have out there, right? Yeah. So yeah. that's, if people would just read that book, they would understand Oh my God, I'm a grinder yeah. and I'm going to have to keep grinding forever if I don't change this. So, and so here's the, you know, you talked about the end of the month or right. Yeah. Here's the formula that I see. If you're a monthly pay plan, you'll do 50% of your sales in the first three weeks and you'll do the other 50% in the fourth week. Exactly. But, if that company is in LATAM, they will do 50% of the sales in the first 28 days and the other 50% in the last 48 hours. 100%. If it's a weekly pay plan, they'll do 50% of the sales in the first six days and 50% in the seventh day. If it's a LATAM company, they will do 50% in the first six days and 20 hours <laughs> and the other 50% between 8 p.m. and midnight because yeah. it's a cultural thing. And I say that just so people, before anybody cancels me, I, okay, I have, here's my next events. I will be next in Orlando. Then I will be in Sacramento. Then I will be in Oslo. Then I will be in Antalya, Turkey. Then I will be in Mexico City for that's the annual event Jaime and I do 
this year we're launching this whole new thing, Cumbre Palooza. Okay, nice. Of all those events, my favorite one will be Mexico City. For exactly the reason you said, man, when you're talking, I there, you know, I go to Latin America and they're just Randy, Randy, Randy. They're chanting, they're they're singing, they're dancing. They've got their symbols uh, and their cowbells and they're screaming and jumping up and down. I love working in Latin America. Mm -hmm. It's just the the passion of the people. It's yeah. incredible, and you have to tell them. Stop that. You're stop being a grinder. Well, two things. You have to tell them number one, stop being a grinder. And number two, you have to tell them it can't just be about the feel good rah rah stuff. Right? How many times, and, and I'm not going to throw any company under the bus because I'm throwing all of them under the bus. If you know what happens when they do a convention? Yeah. We got 10,000 people here. So, how many people are from Lithuania? How many people from Belgium? How many people from Colombia? You know, <laughs> yes, you can pander to the audience and do that for 20 minutes and get the energy. But at some point, you need to say, mm -hmm. this is how you meet people. This is how you work a candidate list. This is how you make compelling invitations. This is how you get people in front of presentations. Here's how to follow up. Here's how to share our product story. And um, so when I'm, uh, you know, working in everywhere, I'm pushing that. But in LATAM, the, you know, the issue raised is, are you willing to have the tough love yeah. with people to tell them that? Because they, I think most people in our profession, if they took six weeks off, they would never recover their business. They mm -hmm. just wouldn't. Yeah. Um, average per if they if they literally took a two year a two week vacation once a year, which they say they do, but they really don't because they're working six hours a day on their vacation instead of the normal eighteen hours a day they work. They're they would lose half their volume for the next ninety to one hundred twenty days because they don't have the systems in place. The thing with auto ship auto ship is the greatest development in the history of network marketing. Go back to 1956, where Dr. Forrest Shackley started Shackley. Yeah. And the, the guy started what became the Amway Corporation in 59. Of all those half century plus, the single best greatest development that ever happened in our profession was this concept of authorship. Mm -hmm. And you have to give all the credit to Frank Vandersloot at Melaleuca. He was really the, the guy who hmm. figured it out first, at least from what I could see. Um, and it is, so the thing with Latinos is like, well, but I love to, you know, I love to take my termo tea to Tia Juanita's house every Wednesday. And then, you know, we sit down and we drink the tea and she tells me about her children. And, you know, there's a big social thing there. And, and, we don't want to take that away, but we've got to say, still, you need to get your Aunt Juanita on auto ship. Yeah. And you can still drop by and have the social thing, but you need her credit card on file 
so that on Wednesday, if you're in a car accident and you can't get to her house and you're incapacitated for five weeks, she's yeah. still going to get her product every time she wants it. And you're still going to get paid when you want to get paid. Right. And, and yeah, that's kind of a, a tough love thing that, you know, yeah. we, we got to do. Well, yeah, it, it is tough love and it is a challenge, I think, for any company. Uh, particularly in Latin America, particularly any part of the world where um, trust is, I, 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 you know, there's a lot of scams here in the U.S., right? But people here, I think still, I mean, we know that we're protected by credit card companies, right? Um, and that we, we, we are, are more inclined to put a credit card on file if it's going to get us the best price on the product, it's going to get us free shipping and all that, and, and the benefits are there. So, we do that a lot in the U.S. Um, in Latin America, especially if you're a foreign company, but not not even that. If you're a domestic company, there's a lack of trust with just is a credit card going to have my back if this is a scam or, or what have you. And so, what I've found is, and a lot of people told me this over the years, you know, oh, we just don't people here don't don't trust as much. They don't want to put their credit card on file, and so we have like you know ten other different ways that they can pay, but they're not automated unless it's auto ship, right? Unless it's a credit card or a company pay card, you know, a company that we pay to and they can use it to um, pay for product. But what I'm finding is the tough love that you're talking about is I, I think that that is, that it, that has to happen. The way we've gone about it and the way I've, I'm finding a way to make it work is just showing people just, just giving them a vision of their own future and saying, if you keep doing what you're doing, you're, you're making money today, right? Yeah, things are great. And how many people in your organization are doing what you're doing? Everybody. And it's that goes back to, to my question, for how many more years are you going to all do this? Manually follow up with someone, you know, and, and call these 25 people to get them to, to get their orders in. You're going to do that for the next 10 years? And they're going to do it with their 25 people and they're going to do it with their 25 people. And then it's not going to happen. And so it's just showing them in black and white, having that tough love conversation, like you're, like you're saying and saying, look, if, what if 50% of your organization was automated? What if they had an auto ship, right? And now you only have to follow up with the other half of them. What, what if it was 20%? What if it was 80%? When could you retire? And, and I like to talk to speak in terms of retirement. Retiring doesn't mean that we never hear from them again. Retirement just means do what you want to do when you want to do it with whom you want to do it, right? You, you have those choices. And so that's the tough love conversation I like to have is, is if you can automate, start with just 10% of, your, of all your people with an auto ship, right? And help them get 10% of their people to automate their reorders. And, and here's what that looks like. A tool that um, helps do that and help me do that is a commission calculator and showing them what it looks like when you have yeah. 10% reorder rate or a 50% reorder rate at, at a certain volume amount or an 80%. And then when they can see in black and white the numbers, yeah, it turns into a tough love conversation but it's just showing them, look, the company doesn't actually gain anything by this. Corporations don't make more money when people are in auto ship. And that's, I think for some people, for some reason, people think they do. They absolutely don't. In fact, it costs us more money because we end up, usually most companies give away free shipping and things like that, right? 
Yeah, or di price discount on prices. Yeah. Right, discount prices, uh, graduated discounts, things like that. But um, that's that's kind of the, that that tough love conversation is necessary. But it's good to show people in black and white. The other um, thing that goes along with um, systematizing and automating to create predictability is um, the concept of. Um, uh, I want to go back to something you said, Randy. Just if you don't mind, you were talking probably thirty minutes ago about controlling things you're not not trying to control things that are out of your control right yeah. like enrolling five people in a week but focusing on things that are within your control so how many calls are you going to make today right are yeah. you going to give one or two presentations today and, and those are kind of you're all focusing on the the actions that you can control and not the output you got me thinking about this concept of predictability when you're talking about that and what i'm also thinking about is how many distributors don't really do this, I don't think, but corporate people do this. They look at the final number, they look at revenue and they say, our goal is to grow by 10%, 20% this month, or we have to hit our Q3, you know, we told the, uh, the guidance we gave was gonna be, you know, if you're a publicly traded company, like I've been at a couple, you know, uh, we're gonna grow by 23%, which means we've got to do this. And everyone focuses on the output without understanding what I call middle earth. There's the input, middle earth, and then the output. Middle earth is where the magic happens. Middle earth is understanding, okay, we're going to hit that target. Or if I'm a distributor and I really want to hit the rank of blue diamond or black pearl, I don't know, what, whatever the ranks are called at, at, at whatever company, um, what has to happen? And that's focusing on on the actions that drive results, right? The results that you wanted. So instead of focusing on the goal, focus on, I've been contacting 10 people a day. I've got to contact at least 50 people a day or 20 people a day. I've been doing, setting a goal for one uh, presentation a day. I'm not going to go to bed at night until I do at least two presentations a day or three. And that kind of goes back to um, not just predictability, but um, systematizing someone's business, right? If everybody if you're working to, to automate your business with auto shift, right, you're following a system and you have a plan of action, call it a daily plan of action that is only focused on actions or activities, not outcomes, then that is another way that I'm finding that people are, are systematizing without knowing it, right? Because yeah. now they're following something every day. They're teaching the right principles of automation, like auto shift. And if you duplicate that by factor of 10, by 100, by 1,000, by 10,000, now what happens? Now ask yourself, how many years can you keep doing that realistically? And the answer is, boy, I could do that forever because I'm just focusing on things that I'm going to do today, right? But that's being duplicated down and your earning and your growth becomes exponential. So I really liked what you said um, when you were talking about controlling the things that are inside your control. Far too many corporate executives don't get that principle. They focus on the last number, the output, the revenue, and they'll say, how come we're not growing? We need to run another, we need to come out with another product. We need better branding. We need another promotion. 
without focusing promotion. On let's have another contest. Let's another have contest. another pro let's give another cruise. Let's give a free backpack for everybody who sells this kit. Right. They're just That's mortgaging right. the future. Yeah. The, and team yeah. leaders do it too. The 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 thing I think that they don't get is what I learned. So I I built, I finally built to become what would be considered really successful, making fifty thousand a month back mm -hmm. in when fifty thousand a month was actually a lot of money, <laughs> and I say that only half jokingly. Um, and then my company went out of business, and I spent seven years just say, okay, I can't have so much psychic damage. I could never do this yeah. again. I'll just be a consultant. I'll write books. I'll train people. I'll show them what I did, but I can't go through that again. Yeah. So after seven years, I say, I'm the shoemaker with no shoes, you know, or the shoemaker with children with no shoes. You know, I, I, I'm showing all these people how to create residual income and I don't have residual income. I got to get back in the, in the profession. So I make a mindful, conscious decision to do that. And that's when I came out of retirement and I joined what was Agile Enterprises. And Learning everything I had learned over those seven years, I made this conscious decision. Okay, that everything has to meet three criteria. How do I automate? How do I systematize? And how do I scale? Automate, systematize, scale. So I'm adding one thing to the two points you just mentioned. The scale is, so when I, before I was out of the business, when I sponsored you, I came to your house and we set an appointment for two hours and I sat at your kitchen table with you and I got your list out and I said, who did you go to high school with? Who did you go to school? Who lives on the left? Who lives on the right? Who lives upstairs? Who lived down? Who did you buy your car from? Who did you buy your stereo from? Who did you know? Blah, 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 blah. When I came back, I said, that doesn't scale. If I'm going to do this, because when I came back, I was a really successful entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. I was a multimillionaire when I came back in the business. So I didn't need to do this to avoid sleeping under the bridge. I didn't need to do this to feed my cat. I did it because I said, hey, I think I can have one more big run. I think I can have a lot of fun. You know, I have a lot of money now, but I don't have residual income. I believe I can create a residual income money machine, a stream. So I'm going to do this smart. And I was busy running my business. I was working like 60, 70 hours a week in my publishing company and seminars and consulting and all of that stuff. So I didn't have, you know, I needed to do this like a new person would to say, okay, how can I do this in 10 or 15 hours a week? and still scale it up. Yeah. So I say, all right, I'm going to create a new distributor orientation. I'll create a video. I'll put a workbook with it. And then when I sponsor Becky, I say, Becky, I'm sending you a link to the new distributor organization, you know, orientation. Yeah. Finish it and call me when you're done. Right. Takes about two hours. If Becky doesn't call me, I'll touch base one time. Hey, haven't heard from you. Where are you at on the new distributor organization? 
Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm going to get to it. And she doesn't call me again. I'm done with Becky. It's not three strikes you're out. That's two strikes you're out when they're first starting. Now, that sounds mean and nasty and lazy, but it was a real conscious decision for me was, I'm not doing this because I need the money. I'm doing this because I want this to have fun. I want this to scale. I want this to, I want to kick ass with this. So I'm looking for people who are looking and I'm looking for players. And if they don't show me they're a player, I'm not going to waste my time with them. So it's kind of a conscious decision to slow down to get going faster, slow yeah. down to speed up. Because yeah. what, what, There'll be people who are listening to me right now who say, no, Randy, you're wrong. Because mm -hmm. I know from my experience, if I sponsor 10 people and I don't go to their house and spend two hours with each of them, six of them never do anything. So I would lose six of out of the 10. And my reply would be, yes, I'm going to have the same result. I probably only have four, let's say, who don't do anything. Six will actually do it because sometimes seven, because I've got a good distributor orientation set up and they feel, oh, wow, this is, I'm learning, this is going to work. This, this is, I'm going to know what to do. They have confidence. They're building their belief. But those three, I'm going to lose. So the person who doesn't agree with my approach, they, you know, they personally go to all 10. But what they don't understand is it takes them three to four weeks to go to all those 10. Mm -hmm. The seven I get, I get them in 48 hours. They're through the orientation. Mm -hmm. And now we're building down in depth. Yeah. So I go slower at the start. Mm -hmm. But 60 days in, 90 days in, with the, the way uh, exponential growth, you know, the law yeah. Yeah, of yeah. expanding multiples works. Now I'm going at light speed and they're still going along in their VW microbus. Yeah. And so that's kind of the message we have to get out. Right. At both levels is, you know, automate, systematize, scale, and then realize it's, you know, it's, it's okay to say not everybody who joins your team is going to become a millionaire and not everybody who joins your team is going to be successful. And there's people who are going to drop out. Yeah, that's not on you. Yeah, if you're exactly. doing this the right way, and you're offering systems and tools and training and infrastructure, and they're the ones who choose. No, I want to stay home and watch America's Got Talent tonight. That's on them. That's not on you. Yeah, yeah. No, I I think that I I like hearing that, and uh, it's uh, it's uh, like Lightning McQueen. Uh, go slow to go fast, and it's just taking the time in the beginning to focus on, on those, on those, those three points, duplicate, uh, uh, automation, systematizing, and, um, the third, uh, I, just, I say, uh, what, say what? Scale. He heal? No, scale. 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 Okay. I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Suddenly my ears are going out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, uh, focusing on that. And, and a lot of times people just want to run, they want to run and they want to, you know, they just kind of like throw all the mud at the wall, see what sticks. And it's kind of like going fat, running fast to go slow. It doesn't scale. Um, so, yeah, that's great. Yeah, I, um, was just, I was just coaching with a, a top income earner for a, a financial company yesterday. Had a great Zoom thing. Yeah. With him. 
And uh, so I'm saying, take me through your process. Yeah. What do you do when someone wants to set up a, a indexed life insurance policy, mm -hmm. an annuity, whatever? Give me, take, just pretend I'm a third grader. I don't know mm -hmm. anything about money management, anything. Tell me how you're going to do this. So he took me through the process and mm -hmm. he's really good at it. And yeah. I said, okay, so here's the question. How many people in your team can do what you just did with me? Yeah. And he said, 15 mm, percent exactly. <laughs> i said okay that's a problem <laughs> right yeah. right so we right. have to we have to find a way to systematize and right. automate some of that so right. that he will be able to scale yeah right exactly cater to the lowest common denominator um you know it, it's uh, there's having this conversation with you so many different things are coming to mind because I encounter, and I'm sure you've encountered so many different scenarios that are spinoffs of this. So, um, you know, I, I'm thinking like when, when you meet these very dynamic people or people who've been very successful, you know, 20 years ago, you know, and they show up to the company and either they, I, I mean, a, a few things, either they have their own system or they don't have a system but they, but they have this brand, right? They are their own brand name. That's happened to me more than a few times at Actives, at the previous companies I've been involved with. And I, I, to be honest, it's a struggle for me to try and figure out, okay, how do we, how do we manage this person so that they can fit inside a system that's working for us here? Because you can't force someone. You can't say, look, you won the championship, the national championship, you know, uh, uh, in, in the Super Bowl uh, 10 years ago, that uh, doesn't mean you're going to do that here, right? Or 20 years ago at Herbalife doesn't mean you're going to do that here. Um, here, what's working today is this. And sometimes they do bring in things that really do work. But, um, you know, what I feel like we're up against, what I've been up against is, um, is at any given company, there is typically a system that the leaders use, that the leaders have used to get to where they're going, right? To some extent, it's duplicatable because other people are doing it and growing and succeeding. But then how do you take these big personalities from the industry who will, you know, will inevitably join the company? I mean, this happens to me. It happens, you know, it's happening this month a few times, like three times. And they, first of all, they want to be treated special. Right. They want to be rewarded based on what they did, um, you know, in the Obama in some cases 30 years ago. Um, in other cases, you know, it's maybe maybe more recent, maybe it's five years ago or 10 years ago. But nonetheless, it happened then. It's not here. And, you know, you don't want to pander to them, but you don't want, but you want to respect them and be respectful of, you know, their successes. But still try and say, hey, look, this is working here. Um how do you manage that? Because I'll be honest, that's one of the toughest things for me and always has been, whether it was when I was at LifeVantage or Zri, um, I was a co-founder at Zri um, or any of the other companies I've been with, it's taking what you have, which is working, and then managing like these big personalities that, that well, oftentimes they don't last. In my experience, Randy, most of the times they don't last. After they've come and made a ton of noise and they've been like, you know, uh, 
you know, I've, I've arrived, the Marines have landed and they, you know, <laughs> talk about all their successes yeah. from Herbalife or Amway or this company, that company. And then, you know, 18 months later, they're gone. And people say, what happened to that person? And we're like, well, they, they didn't make it here. How do you, how do you manage that? Like, what's your perspective? Like, whether it's, if, whether you're a top leader in an organization, because my top leaders will talk to me about, like, Ryan, I've got this person, you know, they, they're, they're wanting me to pay for their meetings. They're wanting me to do this. They were, you know, they sent me a screenshot from, you know, 15 years ago, they were making 50 grand a month or whatever. My response is usually they probably made that one month. I mean, have them show you a year's worth of earnings, but how do you, how do you deal with that? Cause that is a phenomenon that affects that, that I think exists in every company in network marketing today. It is. So the book direct selling success, I said A to Z, Z is the MLM zombies, but there's a couple other categories in there. One is the MLM dinosaurs and one is the MLM terrorists and the zombies. So the dinosaurs are that group you talk about that. No, I, I sent out, you know, 50,000 dead doctors don't lie cassette tapes and I made $5 million. Great. You do know we don't have cassette tapes anymore, right? <laughs> you know, then we have the terrorists. The terrorists are just the terroristas. They're just, they're gaming the system. They're looking for top-up deals. They're stealing yeah. people from other lines. They're only interested in how do they make their bonus check bigger. And they will throw anybody on their team under the bus doing yeah. it. Um the and then the the zombies are just the they're dead but they haven't laid down yet they're just ambling around looking for people they can eat the brains out of their head and they mm. just move from this hot deal to the next hot deal to I the next hot deal yeah. right so i have a you know what i'm doing in that book is inoculating distributors against those people that's why so i want your Frito-Lay guy reading yeah. this book, all right? Yeah. And you tell him, yeah. you get yeah, your you team yeah. reading this book and you do some study groups on some of these chapters. So your yeah. leaders really know. I mean, I also put in out a, a, a newsletter, a paid newsletter, MLM Confidential. Mm -hmm. And same thing. We're, the point of that is to inoculate people against yeah. this stuff because when they understand if if you just join the business today and somebody comes up to you and says oh my god you're messing around with that actives product with those yeah bottles and things i have this thing it's called the airplane game and we don't even need a product everybody just agrees they put five hundred dollars into the fund and then when you get Four people, you become a flight attendant. And when those people get four people, then you become the co-pilot. And then when they get four, you become the captain and you make $30,000. Well, if you just joined yesterday, you're like, wow, what a great idea. <laughs> what they don't know is that that airplane game comes around every two years and the people who do it go to prison. Yeah, know? If they, hey, here's the new magic laundry ball deal, and you put this in your machine and you never have to buy. Here's the magic gas additive pill. And now, of course, it's the crypto scams. 
So, or it's the travel. Hey, we, we have this travel program or the Forex program. If they know about that stuff, they're inoculated against it. But if they don't know about it, they get sucked into it because it looks so good, right? Right. So the, and when you get the, you know, the hired gunslingers coming and yeah, here's my check of $15,000. Your question is the perfect answer. Great. That was February in 1912. What did you do in March and April and May and June and July of 1912? And 95%, like my personal coaching, or if I look at the the clients that Jaime and I work with in the Prosper or our Prodigy Council, the high-level coaching program, I can tell you this, Ryan, 95% of the time, easily, the advice we give is don't do that deal. Yeah. Because it's, here's the thing. I did this. I bought 50,000 people into that. And I bought 100,000 people into that. And so I'm going to need a cook leg, top position, um, $20,000 a month to travel. I need you to pay for all my meetings, buy all my tools, send me my products for free. And I'm going to add $2 million a month to your sales get the fuck out of here. <laughs> just, that's the only answer to that person. Yeah. yeah nah. Here's the 5%. The 5% says, I'm in ABC company. I've been here for seven years. I built up a 25,000 euro a month paycheck or $25,000 a month paycheck. And I've got a good team of people. They're loyal. They're hardworking. But we just had our, my sponsor just joined this crypto scam and he's poaching people or our company just changed the comp plan and literally all the leaders checks went down by 60%. Right. They, they yeah. just messed it up. They, they, they blew it. They refused to admit it. They won't make modifications or whatever, or, or, Hey, the, you know, the company founder was just charged with sex trafficking and cocaine dealing, and he was arrested and the company's closed down and we lost all our bonus checks. Yeah. That 5%. Right. Yeah. They got a legitimate reason why they're Mm -hmm. looking for a new home. Yeah. Then you do a runway deal. You say, this is my record, you know, the recommendation we're giving people. Yeah. Okay. Here's the runway deal. You're making twenty thousand a month. Um, you're not going to make twenty thousand a month with us because not all your people are going to come with you. Because you got leaders under you that say, "Oh, now that we're going to go to a new company, uh, my upline could be my downline." So I want to get in first. I'm going to find the next hot, sexy deal so I can get them under me this time. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to take them all. And if the company is staying in business, there's a. I've seen leaders take deals and leave companies, and take away less than 2% of their team. Oh yeah. Because, I have yeah. Yeah. They're just not really empowering leaders. They haven't developed right. belief. Their people don't right. trust them. Right. Their people feel like they're just being used to make more money. So they don't follow them. Right. Yeah. But meanwhile, they've, they've got this amazing deal at this new company that yeah. based on their current bonus check, which right. doesn't right. happen. So um, 
you got to say, okay, you are making 20,000 a month with that. You're not going to make that with me, but I'm willing to match it on a top-up basis. If you make 7,000 the first month, I'm going to make up 13 grand. You make seven, you know, uh, 12,000 the second month, I'm going to make up eight grand. But it's going to be a runway deal. And mm-hmm. every month or every three months, the amount you have to earn has to go up. And mm-hmm. by this time period of 12 yeah. months from now, the runway deal expires. Mm-hmm. And and you really, and there's no like template strategy you can do. Yeah. It really, each one has to be negotiated individually, really figured out and, and see. And a lot of times, because sometimes you're leaving a company and just the product line of the next company is so different that yeah. there's people, you know, wellness people don't follow to a cosmetic company. Cosmetic right. company might not follow to a wellness company. Utility company might not want to follow to a vitamin company. You have those issues. Sure. Um, yeah. But what you what you invest in, if you do, and again, I swear it's never more than 5% of the time is you're investing in the leader that even though all of their team doesn't come with them, even though the product line may not be something they're used to, even though they're going to have to learn a new culture, they have incredible integrity. They have a work ethic. Mm-hmm. And they're a true leader and they'll figure it out. We know if we bring them over here and give them a safe landing, because the, you know, the other side of that coin is to say, listen, no, we don't make any deals with anyone. You, you know, you're making 20 grand a month. We, you just have to take the leap of faith, jump off the cliff and lose your 20 grand a month and hope you're going to, because you're, oh, and here's the other thing that's really important that you raised and I forgot to address. You have to educate the rest of the field as well. Mm-hmm. They need to know. No, that person did not come in and join Actives and start making $20,000 their first month. This person rolled over a team from DEF company. They brought 4,000 people with them. And so your results will not be the same. Don't beat yourself up and lower your self-esteem thinking that you're doing something wrong because these people are walking across the stage. Mm -hmm. And you have to edify them in a measured way. Yeah. Because yeah. Here's the danger that 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 happens, Ryan, is we all want to show momentum. We all mm-hmm. want to show growth. We mm-hmm. all want to show we're in a hot, sexy company. So you've got 11 lines you're working with. Now you sponsor Julio. Julio's going to roll over 5,000 people. So what's your human inclination? You're going to keep calling those other 11 people. Oh, man, do you see what Julio's doing? Julio sponsored 27 people his first month. Julio just broke triple gold, platinum, blah, blah, blah. Julio. And because you're you're trying to steal the credibility of this growth he has and apply it to, you're trying to smuggle it into your thing. Well, if you've made a deal with Julio and he's really just there for the runway deal, and when the runway deal expires, and then he goes to the next hot deal, now you're screwed with your totally. 11 people because you said Julio was the cat's meow. And totally. now Julio left and he went to yeah. you know, this company. 
Yeah. Now your people are like, well, they were had Julio up at the convention. This was the golden child. Now yeah. he left. If if Julio can't make it, how yeah. am I supposed to make it? And yeah. you, they end up taking a lot of people that were yeah. there, you know, and that's the danger yeah. of stuff. Yeah, that happened a lot at my last company. Uh, I won't name names, but yeah, that's what you're describing. It's so interesting and it's seldom discussed um, uh, it, it, with open doors. Usually these are closed door conversations, but this is a, the only the only training yeah. in our profession where you, people will hear this kind of training. Yeah, well, it needs to be talked about. Uh, I would say most corporate execs, they're they're wet behind their ears. They don't know how to manage these deals at all. Um, they, they usually get taken uh, taken advantage of, they give money and then they create, not, not only do they lose their money, but they create what you just described, this environment where the, the rank and file sees that there's people coming in being given preferential treatment who then end up leaving. I mean, it just, it ruins it for everybody. So um, everybody. This, th this is part of the reason why I think the industry uh, has a bad rap is there's there's these like you know shooting from the hip types of deals that, that take place i do agree with you there's about five percent that are legit who will bring a lot of value you know they're it's like it's like acquiring a uh you know a, a top level soccer player a football player to come play for your top level soccer team or football team but it's not more than five percent of the time you know, 95% of the time is someone who used to be a great soccer player 20 years ago, had a good season and wants to still ride on their, those coat, the, the coattails of their, their former self. So, yeah. Wow. This is, this is good stuff. Um, unraveling all the mysteries of the industry, uh, solving problems. But um, I, I honestly, there, there are other things uh, we could talk about. I don't know what you're, we, we are, we're two hours into it. And you mentioned that, that you got, this is, you, you have a cutoff yeah. here. Uh, well, so I have one last yeah. thing I want to ask you, but if sure. you, I have time, if you have anything else on your list, uh, one more, anything burning that you want to talk about? You know, honestly, some of the topics that we've, we've addressed are, are really big. They're big for me and we could talk more about them. One that I enjoy talking, this is more of like a I, I talk about this with my field advisory board, the top distributor leaders, and that's there's, you know, P's and P's and then there's ethics and the two things are separate and, and people can conflate the two sometimes. For me, I think there needs to be a lot more discussion on ethics. Policies are policies. Those are things that are defensible. You can you can I mean, you should you should be I mean, they're they're legal in nature. Right. Um, they protect the distributor, they protect the company. Ethics is this area where there's a lot of assumptions made, you know, so I was just going to bring that up because different people have different views on what, you know, say cross recruiting is or it, are, is it okay to, to try and enroll someone to offer that person money when someone else has talked to that person. I mean, there's, there's never a policy that governs that. It's just once the person signs up, they're in your organization, you can't, you don't stop trying to recruit them. Yeah. You know, don't, don't engage in predatory recruiting, all that stuff. But then the ethical side is, is something that I find myself in the middle of a lot. And I have these discussions with the field leaders about, look, according to the policies and in every company, you can do that legally. Is it ethical? Probably not. Right. 
And so I, I talk about, you know, like our leaders, because when I was at LifeVantage, honestly, these were the things that split the company up and cause it to never grow again. It hasn't grown since, you know, since when I left uh, 2015. And a lot of it has to do with these fractures between the leaders, between a, because the fractures go all the way down, right? People who are, you know, 200 levels down or 500 levels, they know, they know when the parents aren't happy, you know what I mean? And you feel it. And so um, I think there needs to be a lot more work done in the industry and by leaders with regarding ethics, right? How should we carry ourselves? You know, let, let's not overly promote ourselves and say we're the best team and everyone else sucks. Let's not, you know, behind people's backs say, you know, she's a drama queen and we don't want her presenting in our city. I mean, all that stuff. I mean, I think this is an interesting topic. We don't have to delve into it um, if, if you got to run, but it's one of those things that isn't talked about very much in this space, you know? Yeah, the those that kind of falls over the the category in my book the terroristas that that's oh, where yeah. i think that comes Good into right. play yeah and when you're young and new in the business i mean sometimes you really don't know um i feel like now there's really no there's an opportunity meeting in chicago you live in chicago you're there you're sitting next to somebody, they say hello, you're talking to them, and then you find out they're a guest. And they were invited by Mary, who lives in San Diego. Right. She's a guest, and they're a guest. And you're like, well, I could tell her, well, you don't want to have a sponsor in San Diego when you could have somebody right here in Chicago and get the best support. And well, okay, you'll probably get Mary. You're going to have somebody in San Diego who wants to kill you. You're going to make a $200 fast start bonus this month. She's going to, maybe she'll take off and she's going to make you income. But when you have to send the candidate to somebody else's meeting in New England or Dallas or Orlando, what's going to happen then? So at some point, this has to happen with the field leaders. Yeah, we have a, a a generic event we do in America here that our Jonak puts on called the Mastermind event. It's yeah. um, the the generational uh, and descendant of those Jeffrey Babner events yeah. we were talking yeah. about when right. we were before we turned on the mic. Um, generic, safe to bring your team to top leaders presenting there, like mm -hmm. Jaime and I are doing with the Cumbre event in Spanish. Yeah. That's the right. English version of it. And one of the great things Art did was he said, you know, I want to get the faculty. Every year we're going to have a faculty dinner. And we're going to go out and break bread and get to know each other. So I met Dana Collins at Arbonne. And I met uh, Wes Linden from Utility Warehouse. And I met uh, 20 different people. And they're my friends now. So when I have some one of my leaders call me up and say, hey, I've got a guy, he's in or she's in Arbonne. And I'm like, you know, Dana Collins is a really good friend of mine. I would never feel comfortable doing right. that, right? Yeah. We have to build, that's the idea of duplication nation, the, the dot com that we're doing is 
we're going to, we're, what well, again, we want to take it back from the scammers, right? Because yeah. they're scammers, right? At, sure. at this point, yeah, for sure. There's no excuse in the world. If you are promoting go global, you're a moron or you're a criminal. If you're promoting Zifra, Zifra, you're a moron or you're a criminal. There's no, oh, no, it seems legit. My cousin told me he checked it. No, bullshit. There's yeah. enough government action against these, enough lawsuits, enough case studies, enough experience. Yeah. The people who are promoting those things are despicable, evil whores who will whore <laughs> out their name for anything. Yeah, so, yeah. We need to do, and that's really, we're doing that at Duplication Nation. We have some yeah. um, other stuff in the works to help that. But that's what we have to do as a profession is we've got to say, instead of trying to get somebody else's piece of the pie, why don't we work together and build yeah. a bigger pie? Absolutely. There's 6.9 billion people in the world today who are not in anybody else's network. Why don't we try and introduce the concept to them instead of how do we poach from other companies or even other lines, right? Yeah. Competition yeah. is fair. Hey, I'm going to put my best presentation out there. I'm going to show how you make money in my comp plan. I'm going to show how my products benefit you. I'm going to show you the support structure of our team and the that we've built out and the tools and the training and the events. And I'm going to present it in the best favorable way. That's my job as a marketer. But I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to exaggerate. I'm not going to manipulate. And I don't need to tear anyone else down to do that. I don't have to say my plan is better than their plan. I can just present. And that's the culture we got to create. That's where we need to get to. So, all right. The last thing I have for you, um, I started a new tradition a couple of episodes ago. The last question I want to raise with every partner I have in this is, okay, share with us your worst war story. What is your worst rejection that you ever had? or your worst presentation nightmare? And what did you learn from it? <laughs> oh, boy, that's a good one. I've got so many, um, <laughs> really. Um, I shared, well, I shared a story that I haven't thought of in, in a long time, that that was probably uh, a pretty depressing one. And the true story that was down in Springville, Utah, that was uh, taking a nap in my car, because I had essentially, you know, uh, throwing the towel in and, and I just didn't know what to do. Um, but um, worst rejection. Okay. Worst rejection would have been. Um, I want to tell a story that didn't turn into a good story. I tried to, <laughs> you know, well, it can be great if it turned into a good story. You know, there's a lesson in that too. You know, it's yeah. just, yeah. But, well, why I do this and I want to make it an institution is because yeah. I want those people who are just starting, who are experiencing their first, you know, they call up their friend and their friend says, are you a moron? You joined one of those pyramid yeah. schemes Don't, that well, they need to know that every yeah. one of us who's been successful yeah. faced that at some point or another. Sure. 
Well, okay, here's a simple one. Um, this was when I was uh, at ACN and it's when I was really committed. This was the fourth company that I had been in. This was after seven or eight years on the corporate side at New Skin and Pharmanex. Thought that I knew what I was doing, had a lot of academic knowledge um, on the corporate side, had been in Amway, had been in Synergy, had been an Institute of Global Prosperity, and now I'm in ACN as an independent distributor, getting off the bench, getting into the game. And I just was amped up and I was excited. I'd gone to an event, driven to my first ACN event down in Vegas, piled a bunch of people in my car, didn't have money, but man, I was committed, came back and I was excited. And so I started with the people who were my, the warm market, right? The people who I knew I could get some wins with. And, and uh, one was a, a, my best friend, a, a girl from high school. One was my sister and my brother-in-law in Florida. One was my mom in, out in California. I mean, I remember specifically the, the, the calls that I made. That's where I started. And no one told me no. What they all told me was it was all very awkward. And it was, what, what, is, what is this? They all wanted to know what, why I was calling them. It was weird for me to be calling them to talk to some, them about something other than just to catch up, right? And I remember what hurt me, what stung more than anything was the awkwardness where I was like, this freaking sucks. None of them joined. My sister and brother-in-law eventually did. They got the, back then it was DSL. This is like 2001 ACN. And it sucked, didn't work. And then they called me all the time because oh, no. they were already paying money Oh, it wasn't no. working and I'm not an expert. I'm a marketer. <laughs> and so I'm calling the company for them. They tried to call to nothing help. I was calling the company saying, you know, one of my distributors, a new, she having my sister, my brother-in-law, their, their DSL isn't working. It's going in, it's going <laughs> out. The building's all messed up. The company couldn't fix it. It was, it was a crap. It was a, I'm going to, Try and keep me keep this PG, but it was a crap storm. It was horrible and it was embarrassing. Then same thing happened. My mom eventually got on the service. I mean, what I did is I exposed the most important people in my life to something that I hadn't really vetted. I was in that because I wanted to, to make money. I wanted to be a successful distributor. But you know what I didn't have? I didn't have this ardent belief in the product or the service that I was, I was marketing. I, I believed in the industry. I wanted to, to make a go of it. I knew people that were succeeding. And so what happened was it, it became so gut-wrenching for me to get calls from my, my family members, my old best friends that whose long distance wasn't working or their, their internet wasn't working. And who do they call? Me. And it got so bad, Randy, that I, after, well, here's the thing. Some of that stuff got fixed and I got, and, and some of my distributors started to duplicate. So I was making what we, back then we, we called cabs, customer acquisition bonuses. I made most of my money through cabs, which was basically like sales as new enrollments, right? Some people right. call it start, quick start, whatever. Residual is very small because we're talking like 2% on a 30 or $40 phone bill down eight or nine levels. It was very you know, the, the residual part was, was, was low, but I was covering my house payment, my car payment all in every month. But the gut wrenching part of it was that the, the 
company never got better, right? It, it never got easier. They, the, the problems weren't fixed. And so um, I can relate to people in my own company now who call me, the president of the company, and say, um, my mom's word didn't show up, or it showed up damaged, or it showed up and the, and the tamper seal was, was open, and, and it, or there was like red capsules in there. I mean, it's like the craziest things happened. And they share that with me. Or my mom was calling and she was on hold for 40 minutes or for 20 right. minutes. Or right. I was calling and the month last night, the last, I mean, I hear that today and I've heard it here at like Vanish, at Zri, at Marinda, at Nuska. Like I've heard it across all these companies on the corporate side for years. And I will tell you that my heart goes out to them and I am a thousand percent committed to fixing it because I've been there and I quit that company. I quit that company as a distributor because of two things. The smartphone came out and I lost all my long distance customers, yeah. right? This is a minor detail. But the other was <laughs> I learned the value of good customer service because I was a distributor experiencing the worst customer service and I was helpless. I couldn't help my mom. I couldn't help the people mm -hmm. who I cared about the most, who I had brought into this. I'd exposed them to this. And now I'm feeling embarrassed ridiculous like what the crap am i doing this is from now on i'm gonna vet anything that i invite someone to join i'm gonna vet it and make sure that it's not something that's gonna embarrass my my own mom and and that was a huge learning experience for me but i i can relate to people who are in the struggle and who are facing that it doesn't mean it doesn't mean that it doesn't work right it doesn't mean the company that you're at but what you would my my word of advice is make sure you talk to someone at the company who gets it. If no one in the company gets it, then you're in trouble. If no one, if no one can relate to my story, what I, my experience, then you should worry. The good news is in most companies, you have the founders or maybe some other people who they are committed to making yeah. customer service their number one product. And so that, 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 was, that was a tough one for me, Randy, um, among many, many tough ones. I mean, I've been in presentations where, you know, down in Miami, I remember at Zri, I was actually a co-founder at the time. And um, I, I, a guy named Raul told me, uh, I mean, when he was leaving the company, he's like, you're so unmotivated. You don't motivate anybody and your presentations suck and your Spanish sucks. <laughs> oh. He, in writing, when uh, he was, I think he's being kicked out of the company for one thing or another, but he took the opportunity to just string me up. And I was like, I took it personally. I was like, Oh, he's right. My presentations really do suck. <laughs> and my Spanish does. And I mean, I, I, I felt that way. He really, he hit me to the core. But um, so if anyone has that experience of presenting and just feeling like no one connected with me, I've been there because, you know, since then I've gone on to start successful companies and take companies from zero to 200 million plus a year the one now we're, you know, north of 5 million and, and, you know, and this is, so you can fail miserably and you can have huge successes and you gotta, you're not gonna have a huge success without failing miserable, miserably many times. I, I think that that's true for everybody. Well, thank you so much for sharing that experience and the lesson you got from it and all the other truth bombs and lessons that you learned that I know people watching and listening are really going to get a lot out of. So thanks for doing this with me, being such a great 
uh, co-partner in this production because uh, it's really helping a lot of people. And you guys watching, listening, like, subscribe, share it, get your team members on this, duplicationnation.com, because what we do is important and we help a lot of people. We want you to be able to help the most of them and do this. So one more time, Ryan, thank yeah. you. Thanks, Randy. This was a lot of fun. I enjoyed this and uh, success in everything you do. Thanks for listening. Please rate and subscribe.